You know, if you are a guest and if you were to ask me, what is this church all about? What's New Life all about? I think I could sum it up in one word, Jesus. That's what we're seeking to be all about. Loving him, worshiping him, letting him rescue us from ourselves, um, treasuring him above all else, serving him, spreading the word about Jesus. That's what we're all about. Our mission as a church is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ through his gospel. That's what we're all about. And you know, Easter assures us that Jesus is alive and well today and still transforming people's lives. Like Brandon's and Corinda's and Susan's, the folks we just saw, Steve, Christiana. We believe Jesus is alive and changing people's lives today. And um, who knows, he may change your life this very day. I wonder if somebody invited you over to their home with the promise of coffee and pastries and conversation and asked you, asked you at that time to describe your own experience of coming alive to God, would you have anything to say? Does the story of your life include the story of how you came alive to God at some point in time and are living that out through your life? Like these folks that you saw on screen, could you give testimony in a setting like that that you have been born again? Well, the passage that uh, we read from the book of John just a few moments ago describes an intriguing encounter that Jesus had one night with a religious man named Nicodemus. So I guess you could say that was the original Nick at Night story. The conversation they had that night was just a little bit unsettling for several reasons, but perhaps mostly because Jesus was so adamant about the necessity of experiencing this thing he called being born again. He said it twice, didn't he? Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So what is this? What exactly did Jesus mean when he said, born again? That's the question I want us to explore together today. And we should probably start out by acknowledging that that term, born again, has been co-opted by our culture and is often used to mean something totally different than what Jesus meant when he used the term born again. Just a simple little Google search this week revealed that uh, Ramon Ortiz and his baseball career have been born again with the Dodgers, that the west end of the city of Boston has been born again, that the uh, NASCAR racer Jensen Button has a born-again car, and you can now purchase out in California, go figure, a born-again surfboard. So the term is used to mean all kinds of different things in our culture But what did Jesus mean when he used this term with Nicodemus? I think if we look closer at their dialogue, we're given some clues that help us understand this. Let's see if we can discover answers to three questions this morning. What does it mean to be born again? Why is it necessary? And how can a person experience it? If you'd like to reach into your worship folder, you can pull out a little study guide, a little study outline we've put in there for you so you can kind of follow along. There's some blanks to fill in. 
Let's start with this question. What does it mean, what did Jesus mean when he said you must be born again? To me, it's obvious, first of all, that in Jesus' view, being born again does not mean being religious or becoming more religious. The man standing in front of him that night was already very, very religious, Nicodemus. It says he was a Jew, and of course in that day the Jews were some of the most religious people on the planet. They had all kinds of rituals and observances and ceremonial washings that they observed. They you know, sacrificed animals to cover sins. Most of them had memorized the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, So the Jews were a very religious people, and Nicodemus was a Jew. Beyond that, it says he was a what? A Pharisee in verse 1. Now, Pharisees were the most religious of the Jews. They were like this elite group of religious people. They practiced Judaism on steroids, really. The word Pharisee means to separate. And the Pharisees were known for separating themselves from anything and everything and anyone and everyone that they deemed to be unclean. So these were the religious of the religious folks. They fasted twice every week. And it says he was a ruler of the Jews. That meant that he was part of the ruling council, the religious ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. This was a very elite group of 70 men who were at the the top of the religious ladder, spiritually speaking. I mean, if you'd made it into the Sanhedrin, you'd reached the top, religiously speaking, in the land of Israel. So if anyone on planet Earth at that time was religious, it was Nicodemus. And yet, it's apparent to me that despite all of Nicodemus' religious activity and devotion... And all of his accomplishments, he was not born again because Jesus looked at him and said, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. And what that tells me is that being born again is not equivalent to being religious or to becoming more religious or does not come about by being religious. Think about it. Jesus didn't even compliment him. Jesus didn't step back and say, man, you, you, know, you are quite religious. I'm impressed by you. He didn't say that. In fact... Later in the conversation, he seems to be saying that all of Nicodemus' religion was actually a barrier, an obstacle to him having life in God. You know, religion can do that to people. You heard Brandon's story in the video. He said, you know, growing up it was kind of confusing and we just, it was this religious ritual we did, this weekly obligation and it was confusing to him as a young person trying to figure out, what are we trying to, are we trying to earn our way into God's favor? Are we trying to earn our way into heaven? What's going on here? Strange as it may sound, trying to be more religious can actually put up more barriers to experiencing real life in God. What Nicodemus really needed was not more religion. He needed a new life, a whole new life. Jesus saw that Nicodemus' problem was that he was physically alive, but spiritually, what? Dead. His heart towards God was cold and hard and stony and unresponsive to God. Jesus said, you you need a new birth, a new kind of life. In fact, in verse 16, the verse we just read aloud, John 3, 16, he calls it eternal life. 
You know, the Bible teaches that eternal life is not just a length of life. It's not just a duration of life. It's a kind of life, an entirely different kind of life. The Greeks had two words for life. Physical life, the kind you get by being born physically, was called bios. Go figure, right? Biology and all that kind of stuff, bios. But spiritual life, the kind you get from being spiritually born, was called zoe life. And that's life in God, life of relating to God. That's what you receive by being born spiritually. And so Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you have a physical birthday, and through it you received bios life, but you've not yet experienced a spiritual birthday, so you're missing out totally on eternal life, zoe life, life in God. People you saw in the video were sharing with us about this new life in God that they're experiencing. It's something that is received. It's something that makes you alive to God. It's Without it, we're dead to God and unresponsive to Him. Without it, our hearts are spiritually cold and hard like stone. But once we receive God's eternal life, His Zoe life, it changes us in some very deep places and our hearts become alive to God. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Being born again is not getting a new religion, Nicodemus. It's getting a new life, eternal life, life with God. Second, I think he was saying something beyond that, that being born again does not mean merely being impressed by the supernatural in Jesus, but experiencing the supernatural in yourself. Look at verse 2. It says, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night under cloak of darkness. And the reason he came by night is that he didn't want to be seen with Jesus during the daylight. (laughs) He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And those groups frowned on Jesus at this time. And so it wouldn't have been healthy for him to be seen with Jesus. So he comes at night, kind of this clandestine meeting. And when they they meet, he says to him, Rabbi, and that's a term of respect. reveals that Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus had a following. He had disciples. He was a teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. And so he's saying, Jesus, I've seen what you've been doing. And just a a few days prior, Jesus had been at a wedding feast and he had miraculously turned water into wine. I mean, you try that. That's hard. That's Take supernatural power. And Jesus had done other signs, it tells us in chapter 2. And so Nicodemus had seen apparently some of them with his own eyes firsthand. Others he may have heard about secondhand. But he said, look, I've seen what you can do, Jesus. I'm impressed by your power. You've got to be from God to have the capacity to do those things. We would call that a compliment. You know, where if we were complimented like that, we'd stand back and go, well, Thank you very much. I'm glad that you're acknowledging these things about me, but not Jesus. He blew right past that compliment, and he said, Look, let me tell you the truth. Unless a person is born again, they'll never see the kingdom of God. That tells me that being born again not only does not mean being religious, but it's it's also not just being impressed by Jesus, because Nicodemus was very impressed by Jesus such so that he came to him to kind of validate and verify the things he was starting to believe about Jesus. 
But that wasn't enough. Being born again does not mean merely affirming the supernatural in Jesus, but experiencing the supernatural in yourself. Third, this dialogue tells me that being born again does not mean going through a second physical birth. Thank God. But rather experiencing a spiritual birth that transforms the human heart. Now, Jesus is trying to get this across to this religious man, and Nicodemus is a little perplexed at this point. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he, he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We don't know if he was being sarcastic here or if he was just confused or perplexed. We'll just take it at face value. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Do not be surprised that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. Well, Nicodemus wasn't getting it. He was thinking on a physical plane, and Jesus was trying to deliver to him some spiritual truth, wasn't he? And so Jesus declares plainly, he's not talking about having a second physical birth, but about experiencing a spiritual birth at some point in time after the physical birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Nicodemus. That's your physical birthday. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You need both if you ever want to see the kingdom of God. A physical birthday and a spiritual birthday. Now, you must, he said, be born of water and of the Spirit. And some people take that phrase, born of water, and they've been taught that it refers to baptism. Born of water, baptism. And and so they've been taught that you know, through sprinkling or pouring or immersing someone in water, that's how the new birth, that's how the spiritual birth comes about. The theological term for that is baptismal regeneration, coming alive through baptism. Now, there are at least four reasons why Jesus can't be referring to baptism when he used the term born of water. And because I don't have time to go into it, I'll post those reasons on our website this week. And you can go look it up. But when Jesus uses the term born of water, it most likely refers to either physical birth, born of water. I was in the hospital room each time one of my sons was born, and they were each born of water. The water broke, and they came out, and the water came, all that. It could be referring to physical birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Or Jesus could be using water as a metaphor for cleansing for washing clean from sin, like Steve was referring to in, that, in the video, that spiritual cleansing from sin. But in either case, Jesus is clearly stating that Nicodemus and us need a new birth, a second birth, a birth that is accomplished in us by the Holy Spirit that gives us new Zoe, eternal life. And watch this now. This new birth 
changes something fundamentally about us at the core of our being. Being born again involves receiving a new heart that is alive to God. Say, where do you get that? Follow the conversation, verse 9. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? I still don't get it. I'm still perplexed. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Translated, you should know about this stuff, Nicodemus. You're a Pharisee. You're a member of the Sanhedrin. One of your roles in the community is to teach the Old Testament to other Jewish people so they'll know it. And you don't understand the new birth? It's a rebuke, isn't it? And when I see Jesus' statement, it pushes me back to look into the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament do we find these terms, water and spirit, this promise of a a new birth? Several places, but I think Jesus had one in particular in mind. It's back in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning with verse 25. And this is a promise from God to his people back in Old Testament days. It's the promise of a new covenant. A new covenant is coming, a new deal. Here's what he said. I will sprinkle clean, what? Water on you. There's the water. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put in you. You see it? Water and spirit. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And that's not a negative term there. It just means a soft heart towards God. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Nicodemus, you should know these things. In the Old Testament, God promised Israel there would be a new covenant that he would make with his people. Remember, Nicodemus? Remember back in fourth grade studying Ezekiel? You've memorized it. How could you miss this? This covenant to wash them clean from their sins and remove their old, stony, hard, dead heart and instead replace it with a soft, warm heart of flesh, a fleshy heart. The new birth is a transformation that takes place deep within a person. See, there are many people who, even today, have hearts of stone. Now, they're physically alive. They're walking around. They go to work or school. They even come to church at times. But their heart is hard towards God. It's a stony, hard, cold, dead heart towards God. And God's trying to speak to them, and it just bounces off because their, their heart is cold and dead. And God wants to prick them with his conviction of their sin, and they don't get it. It just kind of slides off. And God says, you know what I want to do? I want to take that old heart of stone and replace it with a warm, soft heart of flesh that beats for God. That's what it means to be born again. 
means to receive this new kind of life, eternal life, and to receive a new heart from God. It's a, it's a transformation of your heart. And so when you experience this, you're, you, at the core of your being, you're changed. You know, whereas God used to be, I don't know, maybe just an idea or a concept or someone you didn't want to have anything to do with, now you, you love God. You love Jesus Christ. You want to walk in His ways. His commands are not burdensome to you. They're, they're, they're joyful because you love Him. That comes out of a, flows out of a soft, warm, responsive heart of flesh that God puts in a person. And you know, we come together in, on church, you know, to church on a weekend, and we hear this wonderful worship music and it expresses things about Jesus. And when you're born again, your heart just goes, yes, that's, that's, my, that's my Savior, that's my Lord, that's my Master. I want to worship Him. I want to just lift myself up to Jesus. I want to surrender to Him. That's what happens in the new birth. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart towards God. You see... Becoming a Christian, being born again, is not like just adding Jesus as an accessory to your life, like an iPod or something that'll make your, you know, improve your life a little bit. It's not like that at all. It's an inner heart transplant that changes you fundamentally at the core of your being. Born again. Nicodemus needed that. Some of you need that. And maybe if you're thinking along those lines, maybe you're thinking, well, why? Why Why is this necessary? Why this being born again? Why is it so important? Why is Jesus so adamant about it? And I want to give you two things to think about as to why the new birth is necessary. Number one, it's necessary because of what we all received from our first birth. All of us, the Bible teaches in Romans 5.12 and Romans 5.19, receive from our parents a birth defect, sin. It's, It's at the core of who we are. It's woven into the very fabric of our being, sin. I got it from my parents who got it from their parents. I was hoping to not pass it on to my kids. It it would just bypass their generation and go straight to my grandkids. But that didn't happen. They got it. They got it from me. I can't be really angry about it because I was the source of passing that down to them. Almost like it's genetically passed on sin, this thing that we got by virtue of being born physically into this world. And that's why a second spiritual birth is necessary to undo the results of that first birth. Does that make sense? I know I'm talking in spiritual concepts and language to you. The Bible's very clear. We will all die in our sins unless we experience a second birth that reverses and undoes the results of the fatal defect we received through our first birth. We are all morally defective and spiritually dead some of you, when that video started off and Christiana came on and, and she started describing herself, remember? She used the C word. She's like, I knew the, the filth, the crap, the vile sinner that I was. And some of you saw that and heard that and you thought, well, Christiana, don't be so hard on yourself, you know? 
you're probably a good person. But she was simply expressing what born-again people have come to understand about their nature, that we're all this way. Our bent is away from God. Our bent is to not come under God's authority, but to reject Him and live in rebellion and to go our own way. This is the essence of having sin in us. And that's why we need a second spiritual birth. Without that birth, we'll never have the capacity to know God. We're morally defective and spiritually dead. A little Band-Aid won't do. We need a major heart transplant. Jesus said, beyond that, without this second birth, we'll never make it to heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not, what? See the kingdom of God. And Bible scholars are pretty much in agreement. He's talking about heaven, (laughs) that place where God is king, where God reigns, his domain. Now, you need to know that on Easter weekend, pastors like me, guys like me, face a very strong temptation. Because so many of you here today are guests. You came to church today. Maybe you wanted to. Maybe you were drug here. Maybe you made a promise, you know, when you weren't thinking clearly back a few months ago. And then all of a sudden it's Easter Sunday. It's like, okay, I got to go. And you're here and And we know, you know, this may be the only chance we have to speak with you on spiritual terms. And there's a very strong temptation that that I feel right now to take the message of Christianity and to, to water it down a little bit, to extract from it the things that might seem offensive to you so that it'll be more palatable so that you'll like everything and come back. I face that temptation. But whenever I start to have feelings like that, I remember something. I don't have any right to change the message. It's not my message. I'm just the mailman. And my role is to deliver the mail, not to tamper with it, open it, alter it in any way, just deliver it to you in truth and in love. And so, by God's grace, that's what I'm going to do today. So listen, Jesus looked at a very religious man who had risked a lot just to come and see Jesus, who had just given him this wonderful compliment. And Jesus looked past all that. He saw right into Nicodemus' heart, and he told him not what he wanted to hear, but what he needed to hear. Nicodemus, unless you are born again... You will never see the kingdom of God. You will never make it to heaven. You will go to hell. That's what he was saying. There are only two places of eternal habitation for human beings, heaven and hell. The Bible does not give a third alternative. And so when he was saying, if you're not born again, you're not going to heaven, he didn't mean you're just going to be able to hang around with your friends and have a good time. He meant your sins are going to be judged in the lake of fire forever and ever. Now, Jesus had a way, I mean, this wasn't the only time Jesus looked at a Pharisee and told him he was going to hell. You read Matthew 23 sometime. He told other Pharisees in no uncertain terms, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Yikes. This is not sweet 
syrupy Jesus prancing through the meadow with his robes flowing, with this smile on his face. This is the ferocious lion of the tribe of Judah telling people the truth because he loves them. And by the way, telling Nicodemus that he was on his way to hell apart from being born again was an act of love. It's loving to tell people the truth, isn't it? Tell them the truth, especially when their eternal destiny is at stake. So Jesus was telling Nicodemus and us that being born again is the only way to enter heaven and to avoid hell. You know what? Our sin can only be judged perfectly and righteously in in one of two places, either on the cross of Jesus Christ where sin was judged or eternally in the lake of fire. Sin must be judged somewhere. And so as a spiritual shepherd, as a pastor, let me look you in the eye this Easter Sunday and tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, Jesus wasn't singling Nicodemus out and making a special category for him. No, this applies to all of us. Unless you are born again, you'll never see heaven and your sins will be judged forever in the lake of fire. You see, if you're only born once, you'll die twice. But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once and maybe not at all. This is the message of Scripture. You must be born again. It's the entrance requirement for heaven. And that leads to a very important third question, begs for this question, really. How? How can I be born again? How can you be born again? Are there any clues in this conversation that would help us know about that? The answer is yes. Number one, well, look at verse 8. This Nicodemus was already perplexed, but then look at this. <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What? First you're talking about being born again. Now you're talking about the wind blowing around. Perplexed. There's an w- interesting word play here. In the original, the word wind and the word spirit are the same word. The same word. And he's saying the the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is like the wind, Nicodemus. It's sovereign. It blows wherever it wills. It's mysterious. You can't see it. And even though it's invisible, you can see its effects. There will be evidence. When someone has received a new heart from God, it shows up in their life. There will be evidence. Just like when the wind blows, you can't see the wind, but you see the leaves scattering across the lawn. How can a person experience the new birth? The Spirit of God must be drawing you to Jesus. The Spirit of God, the wind of the Spirit must be blowing into your soul, opening up your eyes to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of the cross and the truth of his resurrection. Second, you must understand the substitutionary, sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection of Jesus. You've got to get this to be born again. Jesus said it in 3.16. If you know this, say it out out loud with me, this wonderful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
You see, being born again and receiving this eternal Zoe kind of life is only possible because God had a loving plan and loved the world and sent his son to come. And you know, Jesus went on from this conversation with Nicodemus and dozens of other conversations and eventually made his way outside of Jerusalem to a hill called the place of the skull or Golgotha. And there he was crucified, not for his own sins, but for our sins. He died in our place. He took our punishment. He served our death sentence. He absorbed in his own body the holy, righteous wrath of God, not against his sin, but against our sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news that he took our place. He is our substitute. He was our sacrifice. And he was the only one who could satisfy the holy wrath of God against our sin. And that's why I believe God raised him from the dead to say, it's sufficient. Payment's been made. It's sufficient. You must understand this to be born again. Thank God for that first Easter Sunday when Jesus came out of the tomb proving that he was the Son of God and revealing for all time that his payment, his suffering, his blood streaming down that cross was sufficient payment for all of our sins. Praise God for that. In one sense, every day is Easter Sunday for those who've been born again. Now it says, by his resurrection in 1 Peter 1.3, he gives us new life. He causes us to be born again. Do you understand this? If you do, it's because the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to it. Praise God that the wind of the Spirit is blowing and people will be born again even today. On Easter Sunday, 2010, your spiritual birthday perhaps. How can I be born again? Understand the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Sense the Spirit of God working in your life. And third, believe. You must believe. Whoever, what does it say? Believes in him. You see, being born again is not a matter of what you do or how hard you work at being good. It's not a matter of being baptized or joining a church or putting money in the offering plate or any religious things you might try to do. Nicodemus was religious, but Jesus said, you've got to be born again. You cannot earn it. It's a gift. The Bible says, believe, just, just believe. And even that's a work of God in you. Did you know that? Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If it was something we could earn, then some of us would be walking around going, I'm pretty good, you know? I impressed God. He, he brought me in. That's not how it works. None of us is impressive to God. None of us. Not our righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, it says. This is a gift. I love 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal zoe. <laughs> Eternal life. And this life is where? In his Son. He who has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's only two options. You either have the Son or you don't. You're either born again or you're not. You're on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. That's it. And then John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes, 
faith has awakened in their heart. And now they see Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb as their only hope. And they go, I'm doomed apart from that. Thank you, Jesus. You love me. You gave yourself for me. You sacrificed yourself on the cross. And when you believe, you're born again. It's amazing. It's mysterious. It's a work of God. Believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When you're born again, your sins get judged on the cross and not in the lake of fire. Thank God. So I wonder, have you ever been born again? Have you been born again? We're not exactly sure how this all played out for Nicodemus, but we're here today. Have you been born again? Have you ever come alive to God? Have you been given that new heart that beats with God's heart and loves him and longs to serve and obey and worship and treasure him? Have you ever believed in the gospel and experienced that inner transformation like Corinda and Christiana and Brandon and Steve and Susan described? If so, I know there are many of you who are born again. In a moment, I'm going to give you a kind of a cool opportunity and there's going to be a lot of movement in this room. And all of you who are born again and, and, and know that are going to, I'm going to ask you to, to get up out of your seat and go to one of these canvases that are around the perimeter of the room and write on there your name and your spiritual birthday. As best you know when that was. When was it that you were born again, that you came alive to God, your spiritual birthday? For me, it was September of 1979. So I'll write Steve Benninger, September 1979. The wind of the Spirit was blowing through my soul and I believed and was changed. Some of you, maybe you don't know the exact day, but you know the month. You know, it was August of 2004. Some of you, you're going to say, it was back in the 60s. You know. (laughs) To whatever extent, specifically, you know what that date was, I'm going to encourage you to, to get up and go write that on there as a public testimony that you've been born again. So we'll just fill up these canvases. There's some writing. There's some Sharpies over there that you can use. But you know what? If you're not sure, if you today on Easter are not sure that you've ever been born again and the wind of the Spirit is blowing in your heart, this could be your day today. You could be born again today. Wouldn't that be awesome? Receive that new life, that new heart that God wants to put in you. By believing in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And if you should do that today, we have taken the liberty to create a little spiritual birth certificate. You know how you have a physical birth certificate that supposedly proves that you were born? Well, here's a spiritual birth certificate. And it says this, On this day, so we'd write in April 4th, 2010, I, in your name, repented of my sinful life and put my full faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for me and rose triumphantly from the grave. I am born again through the Holy Spirit and am thankfully now alive to God. And it has a place to sign your name and a place for a witness to sign their name. In just a moment, I'm going to ask some ministry leaders to come and take a place. And these are in these baskets up here on the stage. And if today is your day, your spiritual birthday, 
I'm going to encourage you, while all this other movement's going on, to come make your way up here. Grab one of these spiritual birth certificates. Write your name in there and ask one of these ministry leaders to sign it as a witness. And then they'll, they'll say a short prayer with you. That's already happened several times over the course of the weekend. So would you bow your heads, please, with me right now? How many of you would say, Steve, I am born again. You'd raise your hand and say, I am born again. I know it. God has invaded my life. Lift them way up high. Thank God. Praise God. So many of you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Praise God for that. I hope you'll walk over and write your name and your spiritual birthday. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know, Steve, I... You've explained it this morning. I understand the thing with Nicodemus. I, I don't know for sure that I'm born again, but I sense the Spirit of God opening my eyes to what needs to happen, and, and I'm willing to believe in Jesus. Would you raise your hands all around the room? Yeah, yeah, many, many hands, many hands, many hands. You can put your hands down. And if you just raised your hand from right there where you, where you sit, you just whisper a prayer to Jesus right now because he's listening. He's alive. He's here. He's listening. These next moments of quietness, would you just say to him, Jesus, I believe. I know I'm a sinner. Just tell him that. Just get humble. Get real. I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short. But I believe that you died for me. Tell him, I believe you died for my sins. It's got to get personal. I believe you came out of that grave three days later. I believe God the Father was satisfied with your payment for my sins. And just tell him, I want to be born again. Just say that to him. I want to be born again. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Save me. Wash me clean from my sins. My past is ugly. It's selfish. Wash me from my sins. Give me that new life and that new heart. Just tell him that. Give me that new life and that new heart. In Jesus' name. And then thank him. Just, just say thank you, Jesus. Yeah. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come, as I said, and meet one of these ministry leaders. You guys can come up front and get one of these spiritual birth certificates and let them just sign that as a witness and be a great day for you. Easter Sunday, 2000.